0: The scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and, we, and were by nature children of wrath, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For, if we, are, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: to God. We continue our journey through the four-chapter gospel. Chapter 1, creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he made everything good. And at the height of creation, he made human beings in his image. Since God is a trinity, he made human beings in community, for it wasn't good for them to be alone. And since God had ordered his creation and filled his creation, he gave them the job of subduing the earth and being fruitful and multiplying Then God gave rest. So we would always remember that even though we do the work of God in this world, as we work with the things of God, we were never meant to be God. We were meant to let God take care of those things and just do what we were called to do. That is how the world was meant to be. But that is not how the world is. The world is broken. We have chapter two, the fall. In the story, Adam and Eve are tempted to doubt God's intention and instead try to be like God or be their own God. This puts creation all out of whack. First, they are filled with shame and hide from God. There is now a gap between God and humanity that we cannot cross ourselves. Then Adam and Eve blame each other for the fall. And we live in a world of broken community and broken relationships because of the sin. They sin. We said last week, sin is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. Okay, So you don't hit the bullseye that God intends for you, but you fall short of God's glory. You're not as good as what God intended for you to be. In fact, you and I now have a sinful nature. We lean towards sin instead of towards God. We fall short. And the rest of the Old Testament teaches us over and over again that we cannot save ourselves. The priests can't do it, the kings don't do it, the judges only work for a generation. No, something has to be done, but the Old Testament hints at and hopes for a future response by God. So we've been going through this larger story of the gospel, the four-chapter gospel, and I'm hoping that you realize, as I said in very improper English, that the good news is so much gooder than you've ever imagined. There's so much more to the story. And today we come to chapter 3, redemption. This is the part of the story that supposedly we understand the best, where Jesus comes and dies. Most of the time that's what we say. What is the gospel? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But you already understand, having heard the first couple chapters, that the problem is so much bigger than your sins. There's a huge problem going on, a problem with the world, a problem with God's intention for the way the world is going. The world needs saved, just as we need saved. And maybe that word saved needs to get defined a little bit. See, uh, when we talk about save, we often think of being removed from a situation, like God removing us from the, from the world. But the, the connotation of save actually has more of a healing connotation than that. And we know that because the, the word in Greek and in a lot of those ancient languages is, is also the word save, salvation, that we get salve from. You have, have you ever had a salve put on? Well, I don't, you don't hear that term as much anymore. Have anybody noticed that? We say ointment or we say uh, cream. We don't have salves the same way as we used to. But, but you understand salve, like, a, like something you put on to heal, that's the same word that the word salvation is based on. God isn't just saving to remove us from the world. He's salving. He's salvaging. He's healing. He's bringing wholeness. He's bringing back to so the way things would be. You understand, if, if, if God's going to deal with sin, and all he does is save us and get us out of this world, then sin has had some kind of victory. Because the world is not as it should be. But if God's truly going to solve, he's truly going to heal, he's got to fix the whole problem. There's another Jewish word for this. It's the word you may have heard, shalom. Shalom. Have you heard the word shalom before? We typically translate it as peace, but that's really not a great translation. It's, it's peace in this larger sense. Peace that everything is right in the world. It could be translated as prosperity, wholeness, wealth, or well-being. And if you're ever around somebody who's Jewish, they'll say shalom as a greeting or as a goodbye. Shalom, peace, welfare, prosperity, May everything be right in your world. That's what shalom means. And in the Bible, God creates the world with shalom, but the shalom is broken. There's not peace. Things are not right. And part of the Bible's understanding is shalom has to be brought back. God has to heal the gap between God and humanity and the gap between people and the gap between humanity and creation. God has to fulfill the purposes that he had for creation. Otherwise, sin wins. Everybody seeing this? So when Jesus comes, it's so much bigger than just saving your soul. I'm not saying that he doesn't save you. I'm saying it's way bigger than that. So Jesus, let's look at his life and look at how he answers all of these things and not just a problem with sin in your own life. Jesus is born, first of all, under miraculous circumstances. He's born of a virgin birth. This is really important because that means that Jesus is both God and human. Over the years, Christians have even said he was fully God and fully human. So think about this. What's the main problem he's got to come solve? That there's a gap between humanity and God. But when Jesus looks in the mirror, the gap is already fixed. When he looks in the mirror, he's already fully God, fully human, and there's no gap between them. They coexist in him perfectly. Also, for somebody to fix the gap between God and humanity, you really need a mediator that can go to both sides. And if Jesus is fully God and fully human, that means he's the perfect mediator that can fix the gap. He's already fixing it in himself. Then, when Jesus is a child, he's found teaching in the temple. Remember that story? They lose him for a couple of days, and uh, it's every parent's worst nightmare. And what's he doing? He's teaching in the temple. He's teaching as a boy. And what's he doing? He's seeing himself in the scriptures. He does this several times in his work. He sees himself as the answer to all that Israel had hoped for to bring shalom. All these longings of the Old Testament, Jesus looks at those and says, well, I'm those things. Jesus lives a normal life, probably as a carpenter, as a um, Bobby, uh, probably more like a contractor. There's not a lot of wood in Israel. So we say carpenter. He probably did as much stuff with stone as he did wood. But he lived a fairly normal life, probably taking care of his mother because Joseph is not in the story after he's about 12 years old. Probably Joseph has died. And as the older son, he's got to take care of his mother. But at about 30 years old, which was um, actually senior adulthood in those days, he went out and started teaching. And he started his ministry. That's exactly, by the way, the age that rabbis would go out and start their rabbinic ministry. They'd be trained, but at 30, you were considered gray hair enough in those days that uh, you had the authority to start speaking. So Jesus goes out. And in his ministry, he's known, is known for two things, the miracles he did and the company he kept. Well, Why are the miracles so important? Yes, they show his power. Yes, they verify his lordship. But think about it in terms of this larger story. Okay? Should there be blindness in this story? No. Should there be people who are lame in this story? No. Should there be people who are bleeding and can't get into and have other illnesses and have leprosy so they can't get into the temple? No. Those were never supposed to be part of the stories. Those are the effects of the fall. So when Jesus walks around healing, you know what he's doing? He's setting up a new way for us to do things. He's undoing the fall just a little bit at a time. Okay, the fall made you blind. Here, let me spit in your eye. I'll fix that. I'm in the fall undoing business. He does miracles not just to prove his power. He does miracles because he's undoing the effects of sin. The company he keeps also represents an undoing of the fall. See, there was never supposed to be this gap between us. There was never supposed to be this gap between each other between people that were different than us and so when he walks around he says all right this is not how this is going to be anymore and he hangs out with samaritans and he hangs out with tax collectors and he hangs out with sinners those are those people that can never go into the temple so what's he saying yeah there's something new happening where we can share the table with each other where those differences are see those differences that came from the fall i'm undoing those In fact, Jesus was inaugurating a new kind of thing, and he called it the kingdom. In Matthew, it's called the kingdom of heaven. In the rest of the New Testament, it's called the kingdom of God. But what that kingdom is actually is a new way to be human, a new way to live life. Jesus is teaching a lot through parable and story the way the world is supposed to be and the way the world will someday be. That's why for us, a lot of his teaching sounds paradoxical, right? The last are first and the first are last. You save your life by losing it. We have strength and weakness. It seems foolish to us, but you know what? We are from this world. We are from the sinful, fallen, broken world. And Jesus is saying, I don't know, there's something else going on here. There's this new kingdom I am inaugurating. There is a new kind of shalom being pursued here. We see this also in Jesus' relationship with nature creation listens to him he calms a storm walks on water curses a fig tree turns water into wine remember how we said all of nature is affected by this fall all of nature groans because of the fall but jesus starts walking around saying no 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 storm you're falling in line now no 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 water no no i'm i'm lord of you and don't forget it he's undoing the fall Everywhere Jesus walks a little bit, he's undoing the fall, he's undoing the fall, he's undoing the fall. So the life of Jesus, and not just the death of Jesus, is saving, is salving, is healing. Everything about Jesus and who he is and what he says and what he does is healing this world. He walks this earth bringing shalom in lots of different ways. And he calls his followers to do the same. Just like I said, the good news is even gooder than you've ever imagined. Jesus is even gooder than you've ever imagined. Now, in the scriptures, the focus of the gospels and the crux of the discussion about Jesus centers on the cross. Okay, and we're we're right to emphasize that because the Bible does and because it's really important. What What the Bible makes clear is that Jesus was without sin and unjustly crucified, but that Jesus intentionally grows to the cross. Okay, he knows it's coming. He predicts it, and he keeps moving to Jerusalem anyway. He knew it was coming, and he decided to go through it. Why? Well, there's a couple of really great words the church has used to describe this. One is the word atonement. Atonement. Now, that one sounds like a cool word, but it's actually a very easy word to describe if you just pronounce it differently. Atonement is at-one-ment. Okay? Straightforward. At one meant. To be made at one. So every time, anytime there's atonement, there's a gap of some kind of separation. And to atone is to make right and to bring the relationship back together. So Jesus makes God and us one by atoning. He makes God's relationship with the world good by atoning. He's making shalom at one meant. The other word that we use is the word redemption. Now, this is a hard one for us to get because what, are the, what do we redeem? Coupons. Okay? That's pretty much the extent of our coupons and warranties. That's what we, that's what we redeem. Okay? And now you don't even redeem a coupon. How many of you have a little barcode and you show it to them and then they scan it? Okay? But to redeem was to pay, to pay for Um, Technically, when you redeem a coupon, you give Giant Eagle a coupon and they give you a discount. Again, not anymore. But in the Old Testament, this word was most often used of slaves. So slaves who were slave to something and then were redeemed, they were purchased. Their freedom was bought. Or of uh, widows like Ruth who had to marry a family member who was their redeemer to save them because they could not fend for themselves. See, we can't save ourselves. We are still sinners. And Christ, while we're still sinners, Christ does what? He dies for us. He pays the price for the sin. See, he, 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 all his life, he's given out a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, little at a time, little bit at a time, but on the cross, he pays for it. On the cross, he pays for it so that life can be different. But if he stays dead and death defeats him, then, uh, then it's for naught. But because he was without sin, and because he died that death, he rises to new life. He defeats sin and death. He pays the penalty for the fall, and because he's without sin, his sacrifice can be a permanent fix to the problem, and the grave cannot hold him. Now, think about Jesus after the resurrection. He has a body that you can touch, that you can see, he eats, but he can also appear in a room that's locked. He can also disappear out of nowhere. He can also not be seen or not be recognized or appear at will. For Paul, he says Jesus is the first fruit of what we look forward to. Jesus represents a perfect human being, and we are looking forward to being that someday. Amen. How many of you would like a, like a better body right now? Yeah. It's the first amens I've gotten here. Okay. Right, God. But why does your body hurt? It wasn't meant to hurt. It hurts because of the fall. And if God's going to undo the fall and fix the fall, guess what he's also going to undo? The damage done to your body. You're going to be made new. Then Jesus ascends to heaven. There he's accepted by God. And this is really important because that is the exclamation point on all that Christ has done. When God the Father accepts him as a son, He's also accepting all that Christ has done. And he's also accepting you and I as children as well. That's our moment of adoption, the ascension. When Jesus comes back and is accepted, we are accepted. We now have full access to God. No more gap between humanity and God. And the salvation of God is not just a ticket to heaven, therefore. It's a healing. It's a much bigger mission than your soul now, Jesus loves you. He loves you personally. He loves you by name. And he, when he dies on the cross, I have no doubt that it, your face flashes before him. But it's also bigger than that. For God so loved you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The rest of the Bible tries to unpack what's going on. The early questions about the Gentiles. Well, if the Gentiles are in, and we're all glad they're in because most of us are Gentiles, right? And, but do they have to become Jewish? Is this a Jewish thing? Is what, what, how do we unpack this? How do we talk about this? And so that's what a lot of the rest of the Bible is an unpacking. There's another great word that gets used to talk about what Jesus is doing, and I think really helps us today. And it is the word recapitulation. Everybody say, recapitulation. recapitulation. How many of you have never heard that word before? Okay, that's not true. OK? Because have you ever recapped something? Have you ever given a recap or heard a recap of a story? Okay, what's a recap? It's a retelling. Recap is a retelling of a story. And part of what they say, part of what theologians have said is that what Jesus is doing is retelling the story. What does that mean? He's redoing what's already broken and making it new. He's undoing the fall and bringing back creation. In fact, taking creation forward to where it should be. He's bringing shalom. He's retelling the story. So chapter 1 is creation. It's made a certain way. Chapter 2, it falls. But chapter 3, Jesus goes back and retells the previous chapters. He's redoing something. Now here's the challenge. Even though he has inaugurated this kingdom, it has not fully come yet. It is here, but not here. It is now, but not yet. And so we still feel the effects of the fall, right? We still want the new body, okay? The knee still hurts in the morning. Whatever it is for you, okay? We still have broken relationships with family members that are hard to heal. We still have uh, sin in this world. Um, There's still homeless shelters. There are still all these needs that are around us. But the promise is that chapter four is coming. And we're gonna talk about what chapter four is gonna look like next week. But until then, you know what Christ does? He leaves you and I. He leaves you and I in this world to undo the fall a little bit at a time. To bring some healing, to bring some salvation, to put a little salve on some poverty. Okay? To to put a little healing on somebody's heart that's wounded around us. To send our kids on a mission trip to do work there. To bring to bring that news back to us in worship so we can be inspired to care for other people. What we do is we long for heaven. We long for heaven to come to earth. We long for the full undoing of sin. And we proclaim it, that Jesus is coming, that he's returning, that it's already paid for. But along the way, we undo the fall a little bit of time. This life we're going to touch. This life we're going to touch. Okay? This part of nature we're going to work for. Okay? This relationship in my life, I'm going to improve, I'm going to heal, I'm going to make better. Knowing that it's already paid for and it's coming. We fight for glimpses of it every day. I hope that seeing yourself in this big story inspires you to be more grateful, more joyful, and more faithful. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I felt like this sermon had to end by singing Amazing Grace. And I just felt like it had to. So let's stand together and sing Amazing Grace.